What up, everyone? This is Will Butler from Be My Eyes, and you're listening to Creator Exchange. Creator Exchange is a weekly series from The Outpost, bringing together creators and artists from different areas to discuss creativity, empathy, and the different ways we're all staying fruitful and optimistic during these times of uncertainty. The idea is to see the world through someone else's eyes. For our first episode, we brought together two distinct, super unique voices, comedian Nick Thune and musician Alex Cameron. In fact, calling these two unique is an understatement. If you've ever caught either one live before, something that we'll hopefully be doing again soon, then you'll have an inkling as to what I'm talking about. Alex and Nick discuss their own creative processes, camping, sandals, and how their lives have changed in the wake of COVID, most notably those sandals. We have an amazing lineup of conversations coming for Creator Exchange this season, including Master Chef Chris Cosentino, the Master Skateboarder Tony Hawk, photographers Chris Burkhardt, Danny Clinch, Christina Mittermeier, and of course, musician and graphic designer extraordinaire Tycho. Check out outposttrade.com slash creator-exchange for more info and tune in to our live conversation each week. With that, let's get into it. Here's my conversation with Alex Cameron and Nick Thune. Nick, where are you uh, calling in from? Uh, Los Angeles, California. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm right. I'm I'm down here too. What part? <laughs> I'm uh, in Silver Lake. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right. Right. Right nearby. And Alex, uh, where are you at today? Um, I'm in uh, I'm in Brooklyn, in in New York. Okay. All yeah. right. How's everything going out there? Well, people keep telling me it's the epicenter, and um, I'm in a I'm in a suburb called Red Hook, and uh, it's it's a little quieter here. You know, I I think that I don't know where the the hot spot is, but um, I'm feeling grateful and fortunate to be in this area. Not a lot of public transit goes out to Red Hook in the same way as some of those other parts, right? That's right. Yeah, I do a lot of walking. Um, I I tend to, I mean, Roy, my business partner figured out that you can get the Ikea bus for free. Oh yeah. Yeah. And there's a ferry too, right? There's a ferry. The ferry isn't free, but if you need to get somewhere desperately or just don't have any money, you can, you can get the Ikea bus. It'll take you to the train station. Is the Ikea bus all put together when you get on it? Or is that something you put together at the (laughs) bus stop? um i believe there's a there's a, a, a set of instructions and just like legions of couples breaking up mm-hmm. <laughs> well guys you're already already uh, off to the races and i might not have to do much moderation here but i i do want to be you know around to kind of lob a few questions at you guys uh, should we have any awkward silences but i wanted to kick it off which is it reminded me this morning of a quote that dave Chappelle has about musicians and comedians right? And how the two kind of are kindred spirits in a lot of ways. And, but I, but I'm also aware that, that I don't know about your background in comedy, Alex, but I, I do know you're a performer in many senses of the word. And Nick, you're also a musician, correct? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, I'd, I'd I have say feeling, more comedy. I have, I have a feeling that, and this isn't a bad thing, but I have a feeling I am as much of a comedian as Nick is a musician. That's good, yeah. I've been the same. Um, Nick, what's your I, music like? 
Uh, I learned how to play Proud Mary when I was 13. And I've basically been using those chords ever since um, <laughs> to score, score my comedy in some mm -hmm. way or another, I guess. I first saw you, Nick, uh, at, I want to get your, your, um, your perspective on this because uh, I was once booked for uh, uh, what I thought had been described to me as an outdoor festival. Um, and so I was like, oh, it's outdoors. Why? I don't know why they need to specify that. Obviously, it's a festival. And the yeah. fee was decent. We'd get the band there. So we said yes. And then when I got there, I realized it was an outdoor like expo, like uh, yeah. for outdoor camping equipment. It was and there like was like a, an what do you guys call company. it over here? Like it's not an expo. What do they call it here? That's like a, you know, when they all everyone goes into one big building and looks for like the same. Everyone's got the same interest. Like they have it for the for like cars and yeah. It's and, like South by Southwest for um, like sandals and axes. Yeah, exactly. So we turned up and they were like, "Here's your, you know, your bungalow or whatever you call it." It was a glamping show expo basically like where they yeah, were i stayed in a teepee yeah and no, so we did you meet at that event or have you met before did we actually even meet them i don't even know if we met i think we just watched each other's show yeah i walked up and said hi to you during right before your set that's right yeah 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 uh -huh. um so i mean the <laughs> idea of i mean we thought you know you, you picture an outdoor festival with the kind of fee we were being paid which you know at the time was was like very uncomfortable um, very nice uh i was picturing you know it's that, that amount of money there's probably five thousand people there and we get there and there's probably only like it was a small event and it was meant to be a small event like it wasn't the crazy thing about it for me was is i got the gig and was flying into some small airport santa maria or something like that yeah i remember Got into a rental car and then it's a two and a half hour drive. And I thought, well, I wasn't expecting that. Um, and you had just released. Probably your last. Witness. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that yeah. that day, I think. Yeah, yeah. Was the it was day that, that day. it came out. Yeah. And so I I knew about you through mutual friends and, and had really enjoyed um, your stuff before that and downloaded the album that day and listened to it the whole way up there. And all I know about this is I'm doing comedy and that's it. That I don't know. And you didn't even know that we were playing. Didn't know you were going to be there. Wild. And, and I listened to it the whole ride in, in the car and get there. And they're like, okay, here's a map. You got to find your teepee, which was like a, a mile long walk through the woods. Yeah, it was from the, the parking redwoods. And I get to my tent and like the guy next to me owns a sandal company in his tent. And he's like, uh, here, here's a pair of free sandals. I got a pair of free sandals. Yeah, so they we same ones, black, right? Black chakas or whatever. That's right, chakas. Yes. I think yeah, because everyone else <laughs> yeah. in my band got tevas, and I was like, those are bullshit. These ones are yeah. they fit to your foot. They're a sandal. You can wear them. They're in the perfect. Water. Go on. Well, then I see a guy, and I go, he goes, "Oh, you're the comedian." I said, "Yeah," and he goes, "Oh yeah, you're going up after the band." And I go, "What band?" And he goes, "I don't know. It's just it's some guy named Alex Cameron." <laughs> I was like, "Shut That's the so, yeah. fuck up." And then Go I was texting on. Richard Swift because I knew you knew Richard and yeah yeah, but then 
what a weird i was swimming naked in the creek down there i mean it was a great uh, it was good i got i got lost looking for the the water they kept telling us whether the reason i got those sandals because we are on this me and the band uh roy henry and justin at the time we went on this long walk and um i didn't have any sandals i came back from the walk all blistered and you know nicked and then um they put me in touch with the the charcoals guy and i've been wearing them ever since <laughs> They worth like three hundred dollars or something. Not a bad ad, right there, by the way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've been wearing them. Time in the outdoors. What's it been like being inside all this time? Oof. It just is like for me an extended. The the weird thing is, it's like extended post tour. This kind of lifestyle normally lasts for five, four, five days for me after I finish a tour. So I came back from New Zealand to New York, middle of the crisis, and. Uh, I had to do two weeks by myself because I got off a plane. I didn't want to get anyone sick. Um, And that was like, you know, an extend. That was like, okay, that was a long time by myself. But now it's been, you know, probably seven, eight weeks since then. So it's this, if everyone, if people aren't going to work and they're at home, that's just what it's like to come back from a tour. Yeah. You know, but normally the last five days. I got, I had my last gig was in Phoenix. (laughs) <laughs> and and it was surprising that they were even still they added it they added a second day with two more shows for me and this was when basically everything was shut down and i thought well i'm gonna get it while i can i guess and um the, the virus i mean yeah and uh <laughs> yeah and i remember my, my last thing i walked off the stage i was like i said um I just tried the hardest i've tried in the last three years on this one performance because I don't know when I'm doing it again. Yeah. But I, I really did try my, I was like, put on the best show you've ever put on. Let's do it right now. Wow. It was I was, fun. I was, I think the last show we played was in Auckland in New Zealand. And that's Auckland. I think, <laughs> I think that, I think at the time I probably had the, I probably thought we'd be back at work by May at that time because yeah. we have we had shows booked all through summer that are all canceled and so i thought we weren't gonna i didn't think there were gonna be show cancellations at that point so i remember saying to the band like yeah let everyone just get home safe take care of each other we'll see you in may and uh yeah that's not happening what does it feel like i realized because i just had to pack up a whole bunch of my stuff the other day and i all my packing stuff Every time I do it, I'm like, oh, yeah, here comes another trip. And then after that, this trip, and then I'm going to go to here and then Europe. And and I was looking at my bags like, I don't know when I'm using you guys again. I, this this sucks. I don't yeah. have any trips. They're all canceled. Yeah, yeah I just that went. That was a weird bottom. So uh, we've got a, a little like studio space in like, a, in like an art studio building in, in Red Hook. And I just went and dumped all my shit there. I haven't seen it since, you know. There's probably like, like fucking like a suit that reeks like cat piss just sitting mm-hmm. in uh, a suitcase in there. Like, you know, you get so sweaty like on stage and then normally you come home and, you know, ideally do some dry cleaning, but all my shit still just like, it just reeks like. You don't spray your stuff with vodka? Is that the thing? Yeah. Well, I have a spray bottle, so you spray it with like vodka. really cheap vodka. Yeah, you spray after a show. You spray your shit, let it air like on the bus or something. Then, wow, because someone told me just wipe them down with wet wipes. 
so while i'm on tour i do that like just the pits and the like the crotch and and the, yeah my my friend's band does the vodka and they they swear by it okay something to think about in like a spray bottle yeah like a hedge which is also a great bottle. way to consume alcohol too. yeah <laughs> a mist about one of those right here <laughs> i mean we're, all, we're we're at seltzer i guess it is eventually going to be mist <laughs> you just sort of walk through like through a hallway at a bar and they're just sort of like misting you with you have to be yeah. pretty high content yeah it, i mean they could do that with lsd too we're all just going to be missed eventually right <laughs> yeah yeah i want i want to hear a little bit more though comparing notes on you know i think there's a lot of generalities about how this pandemic has affected so many communities of, of workers essential workers but also the people who provide entertainment and media and you know all of our art um what's it like comparing notes from how you've been affected nick as opposed to how you've been affected alex and and of course this isn't like you know these are just these are just our stories but i'd love to hear how they how the similarities and differences are mm. well i guess my first question for for nick would be nick do you is like is it is the is the formula the same is is it kind of like you put out a, a special or you do your appearances and hope that that generates enough action for your shows and in your shows your bread and butter or do the shows promote other things that you make money from the shows are i make money mostly from acting i would say okay. writing yeah. and acting yeah but the the show i mean that's my 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 foundation is live performance but uh-huh it's the difference between, uh, you know, like you and me, I feel like after speaking with like musicians about it over and over is a comedian builds their material by error on the road, by f- failing, you know, because mm. once you put out your special, people don't want to see that anymore. It's mm-hmm. you can't laugh at it. It's not like having a hit song or something. It's kind of like, what's yeah. the next one, you know, and you have to try it on them and blow their minds with it right there or else you know whatever so whereas like you make the album plan your press promotion like get people behind it get the reviews and then do like that hard push and then the tour just keeps going if it's working right that's interesting yeah you your your audience doesn't turn up and go like do that one do that fucking hilarious one well maybe with like you know i don't know Chappelle or something people want to hear that and but I think mostly they would rather hear new. Yeah. What's, what's also funny about, about that is that like, if I had a song that was successful and, and, and the audience wanted to hear it and I said, I'm going to play that song, but I'm going to do a, a, a version where it's me and, and like just an acoustic guitar, just a chilled out version. People would mm-hmm. be like, this is horseshit. I want it to sound exactly like the record, you know, or close to it. I want it to be a loud live version of the record. See, I would love that. I, I, when I watch a band, especially like if you were like what you just said, I would be like, oh, fuck. It's everyone stop what you're doing because we're about to see the thing that we like, but our own version that we're getting right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's like, I, I mean, that's like the, the Dylan thing. Dylan goes electric. Mm-hmm. It's like you want to, as an artist, it would be more entertaining if every night you could just do something that was reckless and like, we're all here for a reason. You can go home and listen to the record, but let's keep it here. Let's keep it special and, and spontaneous and weird. But 
I think generally the attitude that most bands have is like, we've got to stick this one and, and we can't fuck up. And that's why like you get a ton of backing track and, you know, I don't have, um, I don't have a negative or positive opinion about that. A good show is a good show, but um, I think you get a lot of bands sticking like really rigidly, especially after they've achieved whatever success they were hoping for. They and like the coolest thing you can think I can think about as a musician is to like have a hit record or have a record that's like you know built success over time and then just get up on stage and be like this is me and my friends playing music and this song is going to be a little bit different but it's the song so who cares yeah but and it's almost like too what if you like nail purple rain and then you give them the piano version of raspberry beret you know it's like yeah hey we're gonna nail this we're gonna knock this one out of the park and then here's our new interpretation of this other favorite but we gave you that so we get this yeah yeah totally i mm. mean i think that i mean the way that the way that things are going for me um i i think that it's gonna it's a i've set out to for this to be a long slow burn you know i've, I've not like had a hit song or like had uh you know radio success but it's like as much as people who i work with in terms of like industry people would prefer that style um and i try and would are trying to get me to to go there um it's not what i set out to do it would take a huge uh like mind shift attitude wise for me to 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 aim for that kind of thing so like when it comes to my shows i feel like i'm in a, a good enough spot where people know that we're gonna like then they don't they know that they should come in with a little bit of an open mind you know at, at this point um so i don't have people being like boo you didn't pay play that massive fucking song i just have people being like that was great thanks for thanks for coming to our city you know and that's you know, like I, I walk pace. out on the stage. I walk out on the stage to your your song, Marlon Brando. No shit. And, and I have the, I give them the note to start. They started at 15 seconds, which is when the lyrics start. Uh -huh. um, and then I say, right when he says, call me, is it pussy one more time? You, there's a word pussy where you call someone a pussy. Yeah. Um, and I say, right when it says pussy, cut it off in a harsh way. Like you accidentally cut it off and you didn't what? mean to. And they and I'm usually like at the mic at that point, like kind of settling myself, and then it just shuts off after pussy, and everyone is just like, <gasps> like it creates this huge <laughs> laugh, and I look at the sound guy like, okay, like <laughs> interesting, amazing. Uh, but the amount of people that ask me what song that is after, I love because I mean that's one of my favorite songs. I just think it's so funny and and crazy and good. Thank you. But that song leads people into your library, which that's what you said, like the long, slow burn. It's nice to have a long, slow burn when you stand behind the beginning of the burn up and you know what I mean? Like every, yeah. everything that you've done, I'm sure you stand like it's It's all solid from the beginning. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't put out something that I didn't think was better than the last thing I put out. That's for sure. How's your mm -hmm. burn, Nick? I don't know. In, in comedy, it's funny. Like I've put out an album every three years or so, uh, which is these days people are doing it like in a year. Comedians are just like, boom. And I, 
I just don't want to put out the same thing I put out before because in comedy, especially with what I'm doing, that'd be easy to do just to be like, here's the same tune, but different words, you know? Um, so I really go until I fail really hard on something and then pound that in until it becomes like the surprising walkout. Like, wow, that was, you know, and the first time I experienced that is I wrote this like really long story about me saving a ton of firefighters from a burning building. And the way that I found out about the burning building was this Dalmatian that I found walking alone in a forest. Um, and it was so dumb. The first time I tried it, it was just like, whatever. And then it turns into a, my, I closed my special that I taped in Brooklyn on it. And it's like 15 minutes long. And it's the thing that people are always like, how did, you know, Whoa. with comedy, my, I, my goal is to have people come up to me afterwards and say, how did you think of that? Not. Uh -huh did that yeah. really happen you know yeah. like yeah and that takes a long time to come up with how did you think of that that's a good that's a good way of looking at it i think that like um that's why i like i do like writing with characters is because it's like i get to i know first off with songwriting i don't know if it's like it probably is similar to joke writing i've, I've never written a joke but um there's a sense of like, I feel like a good song is in, in some ways like a, a pretty solid observation, you know, yeah. and, and in, in, in that essence, in that, in that way, I think that if it's, if a song is an observation, then the song kind of already existed. I just sort of found it. And, you know, when, it, if someone, so in, in some ways I don't really feel all that responsible for it. You know, if someone wanted to try and take credit for my song, I'd, what about I'd that song the ground your uh, song the drunkest girl at the bar or the ugliest yeah, yeah. that song I, is like that's like writing a joke basically but it's also like writing a nice written piece for the new yorker it's like this it reminds me of like this woody allen thing he wrote for the new yorker that's like this letters back and forth between these two guys playing chess in germany and new york and it's really oh, wow. weird and odd but yeah. yours is like these two people at a bar i mean it's cinematic it's like uh it was it's definitely a story. Definitely at at some point while I was writing it, I thought, um, actually, most of my songs, at least the early ones, were short stories, and I just had no idea how to get into the the literary world. So I just mm -hmm. was already a musician and thought, oh, that's what I'll do. I'll take the stories that I don't know how the fuck I'm going to get people to read them, and I'll just turn them into songs, and that way I can put them online. And they literally they were literally written already in drafted stories. Yeah, yeah, there's probably, you know, there was probably four short stories on my first record that became songs. And then the rest were ideas for short stories that I just thought this is coming easier. I've never heard of anyone doing that. Can you, what's that, pro, what's that process like? Um, well, I was working in, in an office full time and, and slowly losing my mind uh, in just like because of the ambition and the nerves of being like in, your, in my early 20s. And I just started writing at night and I kind of made a deal with myself. Um, I, who wrote Feast of Snakes? Do you guys know who wrote Feast of Snakes? Let me look it up real quick. Um, this writer said that if you write 500 words a night and it's Harry Cruz. So 
ordinarily some asshole on the internet tells you write 500 words a day and soon you'll have your novel you think go fuck yourself but when harry cruz said it i was like okay wow this guy's legit and and he writes fucking good stories he just said he just said someone asked him how he writes his shit he said 500 words a day and so i took that on board as being like if i'm wasting away in this job not doing what i want to do at least i'm doing my 500 words a day you know and that's kind of how the songwriting started from that that thought process and that like eventually eventually i started writing songs at work until i had to quit because i hadn't i had to like say i can't do this job anymore because i'm actually letting everyone down here did you ever get caught writing at work um i got caught writing at work i got caught sleeping at work i got had a meeting where my boss took me into a room and had a a document about that thick with pages of my internet search history um (laughs) which was all like this shit you do not want people to see not like uh pornographic but like you know one day i had one one week i had like a fucking i had a hankering to read about murderers you know and that all the wikipedia articles of like the worst human eating people that you could like think of you know and 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 as they kind of were like at the job they were kind of like you don't want to be here they're like you can stay if you want but it's kind of we got the vibe like they were like you can go part-time if you really want to do the music thing and i was like i think it's best if i just quit and that was just before I, i went to to europe but yeah i think like writing for me in terms of songs being like whether they're like jokes or stories wherever they originate from i feel like they exist before i i, I come a- across them and so i f- i feel like in the same sense when like a joke is told i feel like i just spoke for like eight minutes but when a when a joke is told uh there's a connection there's two there's a couple of different ways you can connect with a joke but one of the ways is oh, I've thought that before. I'm just so glad they put it into those words and that's made me feel really good. Or the other way, which you're, you know, which which I, I think you're talking about, which is what the fuck is going on? This is awesome. Mm-hmm. I think uh, this is a question we have on YouTube, which is relevant all the time, I think, but extra relevant during these times we're in. Nick, maybe you can kick us off. Like when you're surrounded by the same shit every day, you know, you're at maybe you work from home, maybe whatever it might be. Like, where does inspiration come from? I, it comes from probably every every form of writing is listening, really. Because I like um, I was on the phone with this guy today uh, at Sam Ash actually. Oh, nice. <laughs> and and uh, I was talking to him about this this eye ring that I got and using it. And, and uh, he goes, you know, I'd say rule of thumb, always have your, you know, what, whatever he said after that. And I go, I'll tell you what my rule of thumb is, is never take for granted that, that it's opposable. And it was really quiet. <laughs> I, but that to me is something that I write down, like never take for, you know, never take that for granted, right? Mm-hmm. Rule of thumb. But it it's comes conversation, from, right? It, for me, it, it comes, comes from conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think like I totally, my, my best songs have, my best hooks have come from something that I've said in a conversation and gone, where the fuck did that come from? 
Okay, cool. I'll write it down. Mitch Hedberg had the best line. He say like, um, uh, he was talking about riding in a hotel room and he was like, you can tell if the joke's good or not by how far the pen is from you and how far you're willing to walk. Basically. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Cause if the pens across the room, then it's not that funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I definitely have, tr- I, I, I am training myself more and more to be like, if that one is worth writing down, it'll come back. Mm-hmm. You know, like I don't, I think people, I, I don't, I think people get really sort of, strung up am i have i just frozen no i am um people get really strung up on like what was that thing I, oh fuck I, you know and then they i used to get really upset that i'd forgotten this line or this hook or this melody and the last couple of years i've just been like you know what if it's that good it'll come back yeah i thought it on it, your I'll think it again do you use voice notes on your phone yeah, i use i use voice memos and and this like this app that syncs my computer with my phone for notes so if i write it on my phone it is on my computer uh, but i also use pen and paper in the studio if i'm like in the studio i'll be using a pen and paper you know i find the most inspirational time too uh, because conversations is where things kind of happen mm-hmm. but when you said forcing yourself to write it really works yeah you know if it's if it's you know if it's a goal like for me deadlines work really well i mm-hmm. I, I was writing these five minute pieces for the tonight show, like um, eight, 10 years ago. I don't know, but I, I had like one a month. I could do five minutes on the tonight show. If I, if they liked the idea and it worked, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it would take me a whole month and the state, the first week was like cockiness. Like I've got a month, you know, this is a good idea. Oh, they like the idea. Cool. Take a week off until you're finally like, I have to have a draft of this tomorrow to do on, national television in seven days you know and and that's when the sitting down and it's i find myself um i wrote this one joke that might not sound funny right now but it was like a staple off one of my albums but Uh i was writing about daylight savings time and how i hated it you know and and how not only do i hate it but people like flavor Flav probably hate it too and you know just all these different people and i'm writing all these jokes are just kind of coming out because i'm forcing (laughs) myself to write them but then at one point I go, I'm sick of it. And I wrote down enough is enough. And I sat there and I looked at it. Enough is enough. And then my next sentence, I just wrote as I was typing in same speed. I mean, it is, it's actually, it's the same word. And at that point on saying enough is enough, pause. It's the exact same word. Got a applause break at every show of mine because wow. it, you know through delivery and everything but yeah. it took that moment of forced pressured writing to clear myself up enough to just not like yeah just, you can't if you pause for more than five seconds in a writing session then you're doing it wrong you know mm-hmm. like there should just be boom 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 yeah yeah and you I can think, cut shit out i think there's like such a i, I totally agree i think there's like a uh there's a, a couple of things i think that stopped me from like launching into the songwriting for a few years when I was younger uh the first is like the question of like who people think about like why do you do it I think more about like who am I doing it for who is it for that I'm doing it is it because I want to be a famous rock star is that why I'm doing it or is it because like is that is it because I want to make music for someone like do I want to make uh like 
my girlfriend cry or do I want to make uh, my friend laugh or do I want to make like I think about specific people who I'm writing a thing for and that sort of gives me a purpose to to create because chances mm. are if if it makes my girlfriend cry in a hopefully nice way then um, then someone else is going to relate to it and also fuck that other person it's not for them anyway so it's like that gives me a sense of purpose that help that helps sort of like put um like a, a drive to, to do it i also think that that's great what, by the way i'm gonna use that that's amazing yeah i think it's be it's the best approach it's like if if you can instead of pondering about what uh you know like universally why am i doing it or what your audience wants. Yeah, fuck it. Just do it for a specific person. Like it. Or a group of people. Or... Most writing for. Say that again? Who do you write for most? Um, that's that's like, you know, that's what the muse is, right? It's like I don't know if I'm fully comfortable sharing my muses. I have a few people. I have yeah, maybe I have maybe about like a tight group of five or six people. And I also know I've tried to write songs for people and been like, Oh, you're not suitable for this not worth it <laughs> like you're not the right person for this you know and then, and then that's like that's okay obviously i never tell that person right. um that'd be a good email yeah <laughs> hey you didn't know you didn't know this but i was kind of using you as a muse but yeah, yeah you yeah. weren't good man you suck <laughs> yeah totally i think like yeah i think find out find out who you're doing it for because otherwise you run into huge obstacles like uh, whether or not you have a deadline, whether or not anyone is paying you to do it, whether or not you're skilled enough, whether or not this, that, the other, blah, 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 blah. So just shut it all down and think about who it's for. That's what my songwriting advice is. That's a great answer. I, I, I think, you know, we all have um, our solo writing process, but you guys both have worked with some pretty significant collaborators in your life i don't know nick if you still work with a writing partner but i know alex you're very uh prolific with your par partner uh business partner roy roy uh malloy roy malloy what do you what is your relationship like with roy well roy moved next door to me when we were about i think his mom told us recently we were actually about like eight years old i thought we were like five but so we've known each other since we were we were kids and um Roy's the guy that like, for me, he's like, you know, these are, these are actual examples of things. Um, I, I was out of town and couldn't do this wedding DJ gig. So he turned up and did it. Um, I was, came back from a tour and was dead broke. So he got me a job chauffeuring on New Year's Eve. Um, he got me a gig at a pizza restaurant. It was just this natural progression of me being like, do you want to play saxophone in the band? Because we, we, we were just constantly doing things for each other that like, he's just the guy, you know, he's the guy if you need, if you like, if the roof collapsed on your shed, he's the guy you call. And and if like, and if he needed a, a, a ride because there was free cat neutering in bed style i drive him over there and we just do that for each other you know we give we sort of like provide just a little bit of help for each other and we've always it's just a little bit of help it's a cushion it's like it's support and then 
we started the business together. He said to me in high school that it was his dream to start a semi-successful small business. And that was like really resonated with me in such a huge way. What about, what about you, Nick? Do you, do you have a, a partner in crime? Uh, well, I was going to say this about Roy too. I, I've gotten to know Roy a little bit and he, uh, in Los Angeles once he came over and picked me up in, in your guys's, I think shared Lexus. Yeah. We, have a, we, had a- we, we went, we went for a, uh, we went for a ride and it was one of those things where I was like, you want to get coffee or something? He's like, yeah. So we go get coffee and then we're done hour and a half later. I'm like, should we get some pizza or what? And he's like, okay. And, we just ended up doing like five or six after everything. It was like, well, should we get another coffee? You know I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He's the guy that is just fun to hang out with and talk to. He's the best uh, which, man. He's the best. The people that I have around me that, that bring out the side of me um, is I have this writing partner named Kevin who doesn't do my stand up with me, although I will run, run stuff off of him. But um, like I got this commercial for, I got like Dell computers had me do like a series of five commercials for them or something. And they let me write them and, and perform. And I had Kevin there because he's the guy that brings out the side of me that is good on camera, you know, mm. like laughing with him in the back. Like, it's just like having Roy backstage or your, your friends with you at the venue. It's like, if you have these people around you, it's going to bring out the side of you that is what's good the best yeah part that's good man that's actually which can be hard to generate on your own yeah you know? like I, and a, i think yeah. about i think about people that are around me that bring out like because i can be a cranky guy sometimes like but it's always it's on this line of like am i being cranky or am i going to start a fun conversation with you about this and it's not going to bother me and yeah there's people that i'm around where it's like if i complain about something and they take it like they don't respond or they don't like it. They think I'm a complainer. That's fine. I can't be around those people. The people that I can be around are the people that are like, yeah, look at his fucking shoes too. And I'm like, actually the shoes aren't bad. You know? yeah. I mean, but, and then him and totally. I or her and I will start a five minute conversation that gets out of me being angry that they weren't going knees to fucking chest while they were crossing the street to listen, the guy was walking slow. Yes fine we could have turned left quicker if he walked faster but the shoes weren't bad and he seems like a nice guy now that we've followed him for a couple blocks you know like that kind of thing yeah 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 whereas the other person just shuts that down and then there's no fun creative like out you know totally i think that's like i've never heard it expressed like that but it's like extremely important where to have someone who can almost like without intention compliment whatever mood you're in because creativity doesn't happen from one mood you know you don't if you're writing something you don't go oh shit i'm in that mood i should go right it happens when you're angry it happens when you're devastated it happens when you're like content like it happens whenever it wants and so if you can have a, a person if you're going to collaborate with someone if you can have a person who can almost just not give a fuck how you're feeling yeah, and know that the goal is to get the job done and service, service the the task at hand, if that's writing a song or a joke or whatever. Um, shit, I was at this, I've never heard it put like that. That's good. I was at this bar in Austin, um, and Lucky something Lucky, whatever that bar is called, um, or Sorry Charlie, I think is the name of it. And next door to it was this huge uh, hotel, 
And on the fifth or sixth or 10th floor, I don't know, was a workout room that, so you could look at the hotel and see like every floor is rooms, but then this one floor has treadmills that are against the window, you know? And I'm drinking on this patio of this bar with like a group of people. And I go, I look at one guy there that I didn't know that well, but he seemed funny. And I go, who do you think can get up to that workout room quicker, me or you? And basically the goal was to see who's on a treadmill waving out the window to everyone down at the bar. We get in there, turns out you need a key to get on the elevator. It turned into this whole thing where him and I are trying to get to this fucking 10th floor. Yeah. And those people that were there and that guy and I, that's all we ever bring up when we see each other. But then that guy and I, that turned on this creative thing where we push each other to do things that, why? Why do we now need to convince this guy at the front desk that we don't have our room key and our last name changed? That's why it's not the same on the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's about like, instead of just being like, just sort of not open to the idea of an experience happening as, as like, after having that kind of like, having been ushered towards something people the off the response from someone who isn't open to that kind of thing would be something quite stiff you know mm -hmm. or like you know and that's like that's i don't think that's necessarily a personality trait i think it can be like collaboration can 100 percent be learned but like it's always so nice when it's spontaneous and happens naturally as opposed to after a discussion do you think roy is smarter than you yeah well, I know. I mean, according according to the New South Wales state government, he definitely is. <laughs> yeah, my writing partner is like beyond intelligent, you know, which is something that evens me out pretty well, too, because you can have these crazy ideas, but then somebody that can actually fulfill that, help you fulfill it with the facts or logistics, like what goes into the idea, that's pretty solid. That's something yeah. that I like to have around me. Yeah. The other thing about Roy is um, he's like people kind of may on stage, you know, he's like the, the right hand man kind of vibe. Um, but he's cooking up some like some really intensely good, like written pieces and scripts and he's like working. So it's like, I don't have, I mean, I think it's, I mean, my point being that like, it's really a good feeling to know that if you know if he's not necessary if it comes down to it and he's not done put in didn't contribute to to a certain batch of songs in a way that maybe people would have expected he's like got so much going on in his own world that like i feel lucky when he comes to to work with me as opposed to like feeling like i've got to make get my partner to do something i, I don't feel responsible for him is what i'm saying you know, and Roy also goes out to the merch table and stuff, he right? I mean, he, he, he does everything, everything. It doesn't matter if we had, if we came off stage and we just had a fight or an argument. In fact, that couldn't even happen because he doesn't even come backstage after the show. He goes straight to the merch desk. Mm -hmm. Like he gets down off the stage and goes to the merch table, beats everyone else there. Which any good small business owner would do. That's right. Yeah. Takes the feedback <laughs> straight in the mouth. I mean, he's got, he's had flus and and viruses and shit that like a hundred percent have come from shaking three hundred people's hand in, uh, in over the span of a couple of nights. You know, like it's like he's. I mean, I keep telling him he's got to start wearing gloves. This is a productive time for Roy. Yeah, he's like, like a you know, 
instead of getting Roy to wear the gloves, if you want to come to the merch table and meet him, we just get a box of those gloves. Everyone else put the glove on. Smart. What about people? You, what about working with people who you look up to or who many consider to be like idols? I'm seeing like questions in the chat about like, what was it like to work with the, to write with the killers? You know, Nick, I, you, you've probably written with some idols before. Alex, what's, what, what do you, what would you say? Um, so I just, my mom texted me. I missed the first half of that question. No, uh, people are asking. I was going to wing it, but then I was like, no, no, it's no, all, no. People are asking what it's like to write with the killers. And I'm wondering okay. probably what's it like to write with your, anybody who's sort of been in it longer than you. I mean, it's, I think that I write well with Brandon because it comes back to the conversation thing. We can talk, you know, it's like most of our writing sessions are just us talking and right. And every now and then writing stuff down, you know, whether it's like me asking him a question about, uh, you know, what the purpose of the song is or like, us just talking about our lives, you know, our experiences. Um, it's, it's, we were in, me and Roy were touring in a sedan and we were in Tallahassee, Florida, and we played to about four people in a record store. And I remember that the shit thing about that day was that the record store only had two copies of the record. So not even everyone could buy one. Um, and we, we loaded our stuff in, you know, I think we had t-shirts with us at the time. We loaded our merch into the back of the sedan and we were going to go head to Atlanta, um, probably to fly back to New York. And my phone vibrated and I thought I had a, uh, I thought someone had signed me up to the Brandon Flowers mailing list as a joke. Um, because you got people, an email from Brandon Flowers. But I just got an email, like I sort of looked at it like, the fuck i didn't you know oh this must be someone playing a prank on me because someone's making a joke about how i sound like him or something and uh and then i looked closer at it and i said roy i think brandon flowers just emailed me you know <laughs> and it was it was it was why it was a very short email i don't know if i should read it maybe i should i don't think he'll care this is what it's like to get contacted by a, arguably the generate a generation's most successful songwriter. Um, let me see if I can go way back in time and, and find it. And Nick, I want to know from you, you know, who, what's your best experience writing with uh, some, someone of that tier in your field? Um, I wouldn't even, it's not even my field. I, my my favorite collaboration experience that I ever had with a person for a purpose uh, was Richard Swift. We, we uh, I had like five songs that I had sketched out that I wanted to put on my first album, and was a huge fan and got a hold of his manager. And then the manager gave me his email, and I emailed him like, "Hey, can I come to where you are and we can record five songs?" And he just wrote back, "Yeah, dude." Yeah. <laughs> and then I was, and That's then the next thing that. I knew, I was in Oregon, and and. Uh, it was like a week long, just crazy fun experience, but watching somebody that's so good at like, 
like if I had an idea, he would have a whole song laid down musically within five minutes, just like not even double takes, like just one take on. And I was just so blown away. Complete like savant natural, like songwriter. When I first, I I was a big fan of um, Foxygen's music. And when I made uh, Forced Witness, my second record with Rado, and my, my dream was to get Swift to mix it um but when the time i I wanted to get it mixed quickly and i didn't know if he was going to be able to do it and we were in los angeles and i was about like a week later i was heading back to europe and i was like you know i was basically like if i go back to berlin and i don't mix this thing it could take another three months to get it mixed and i just had this i want you know i wanted i wanted the, the baby in my hands and so um Rado gave me Swift's number and I wrote to him I said hey it's Alex here I know we haven't met before you haven't heard my music but like is this when do you think you can mix this and he was like oh no I checked your stuff out Rado told me you want to come tomorrow I was like it was just like yeah I want to fucking come tomorrow like yeah that's awesome and we drove up and had all manner of shit happen to us. The car got broken into, all my shit got stolen uh, on our drive from LA up to Oregon. Uh, we drove for seven hours with a busted back window in the in the car. Me and Raider just like, like the whole drive. <laughs> and we got there and the most magical thing about Swift, I could tell which songs he liked because the mixes were so natural and so gorgeous that it wasn't as though the mixes of the songs he didn't like weren't good they were awesome but there there was a a way that he put his dna into the mixes of the song it even did some performance on it as well but the mixing was insane and he would do this thing where he would close his eyes and he did, and like sort of just touch the the gear he was using in this way. It was spiritual, man. Holy you know, what's funny is I was there, and uh, the second day I was there, he was like, "Do you want to hear a few songs that I recorded last night?" And I was like, "Yeah." yeah. And so he brought his wife in, and we all sat there, and it was just silent for three songs. And I've never, I, I always just, de- I decided at that moment, I want to marry somebody that looks like she looked when she heard those songs. Yeah, like it was. She was just so in awe of him. And then two days later, a friend of mine came down from Seattle to record some some parts on this thing. And and I go, hey, Richard, playing those songs you played for me. And he goes, no. Yes. <laughs> and, I remember being, and I remember feeling so good that I was on the inside of hearing the songs. But then yeah, also my yeah. friend, I was like, fuck you, man. You don't know Richard like I do. <laughs> yeah. He has, like, I know that he has entire albums worth of of music that for whatever reason he didn't want to release like insane shit he had like this old korg workstation keyboard one of those massive like early 90s like dr dre style things where they like they make whole records on them and he had like 20 incredible songs just on that keyboard like he would just find a piece of gear and be like i'm gonna make a record with that one piece of equipment and yeah. make just the most gorgeous stuff, man. Yeah, his his collection of drum drum machines was insane. Yeah, 
Well, so, I, yeah, I really cherish my time up there. It's, it's crazy. Well, we're coming to the end of our time, but there's uh, one last question that folks have on uh, the YouTube chat, which is, uh, what's the first thing you guys are going to do when you get out of the shelter in place order? Or when you feel like you really have some freedom? Besides Disneyland? <laughs> besides theme parks <laughs> and besides the cinema how fucking i mean i've i don't even want to say it but how redundant does that thing feel right now yeah i love the movies me too um first i just thing, want to get on stage man honestly yeah like, that's yeah all, I, that's all i want I think I'm going to try and get in the studio with someone like, and this has been a big like wake up call for like how easy it was to collaborate with people. The whole uh, like sort of corresponding with someone on the other side of the world, trying to do, trying to make music when you're apart is just, I'm probably just going to try and get in the same room as a bunch of musicians and make some music perform i'd love to you know what i'd love to do i'd love to fucking just rehearse with my band man that'd be fun yeah i did uh <clears throat> i performed on willie nelson's live stream last week oh i didn't get to see that and it was so fun uh, it was like five minutes long and i was alone in my room and afterwards i like got off and i text the guy that was like the guy in charge of all of it and i go hey how many people watch that and he's like eighty six thousand. And I felt no different than when I had started. Yeah. Yeah. If I were to go and perform that same set in front of 10 people that liked it, it would have changed my, I mean, that's all I want. Yeah. So the, yeah. the thought that like 80,000 people with no response still is worse than having eight people. <laughs> I guess that's why <laughs> I so haven't weird. done the, the live stream thing. I haven't done the, the performing live on the cat on the phone thing. Cause I just, don't know if there's anything there for me <laughs> you know it's tough yeah i'm 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 blind and so like when i go live i can't see the numbers and without being able to see the numbers you get you get nothing you get nothing out of it mm -hmm. mm -mm. yeah without the like there needs to be some there's needs to be something super risky when i'm when i'm performing and getting <laughs> nothing feels riskier than getting up on stage and like yeah you know you need a social network with an edge yeah. <laughs> Now's not the I'm looking time forward for I'm looking forward to shooting some porn again. <laughs> yeah. All right, so anyway, we're going to wrap it up now. Uh, <laughs> uh, seriously though, you guys, thank you so much. Um, Creator Exchange was designed to let people see each other's work and each other's art through each other's eyes. That's what I do. Be my eyes is an app that allows you to be the eyes of a blind person somewhere in the world. Um, we want to encourage everyone to join and volunteers. It's a really fun volunteer opportunity uh, when you're just sitting at home feeling useless. Um, but, but really this is about exchanging um, what makes us tick creatively. So I, I really want to thank you guys both sincerely for being so open and, and so frank about your process and your inspirations. Cause I know it, it means a lot to the audience. Wow, man, I'm I'm happy to I'm happy to be here. I'm happy. I actually needed to talk. I think. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Felt like we were hanging out. Yeah, we should do it no, again. I'm, I'm 
I'm going straight into a therapy session. <laughs> I just came out of one. Oh, nice. Yeah, maybe it's the same guy. One, same person. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, and uh, please, everyone, support Oxfam. Support Creator Exchange's mission. And, uh, and let us know what you think in the comments. See you, Nick. Thanks, guys. See you, Alex. Thanks, Will. Thanks, guys. Lots of love. Bye, Will.